We're going to be jumping around a little bit this morning. Um, so pull open your Bibles and get Hebrews and James, which is right after Hebrews, and Romans and Matthew. Hebrews, James, Romans, Matthew. Um, Hebrews is chapter 11, is the one we're going to be looking at. James is chapter 2. Romans is chapter 1. And then Matthew. Hebrews is 11. Where is Hebrews? It's in the back of the Bible. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're looking just at two verses. Verse 1 is the first one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now, I have spent this entire week reflecting on this. And I honestly came up to the Advent wreaths and went, hey, there's no faith on the Advent wreaths. But you but there's no faith on the Advent wreath. But you heard what I said to the kids this morning, and I want you to hear it again. We receive the peace of Christ because of the grace of God which reconciles us. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say, we are saved by grace through faith. So the peace of God, which is on the Advent wreath, is a result of God's grace coupled with our faith. And I wanted to talk with us this morning about faith because it is something that is just so basic and so easy to talk about, but so hard to live. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, very simply says, when you have a hope for something, your faith is the assurance that that hope is going to be realized. It is the conviction of things not seen. Think about what that's saying. If I say I hope, it's I have a, a wish for the future, but I have I have no no permanent tangible, concrete thing to hold on to. But when I step past hope and come into the realm of faith, faith gives me that confidence to walk in what I'm hoping for. Faith becomes the thing that I, it's the thing that I'm anchored by. And when I have complete faith, I can act with confidence based on my faith. 
I don't have to walk around going, I hope my sins are forgiven. I hope when I asked Jesus into my heart that I became really a child of... I know that I know that I know because I have faith that God would not lie to me. And as a result, I have the peace of God. Moving down just a few verses in this, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him, which is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is the evidence and the assurance and the, the, uh, and, and, and the conviction of the things that we're hoping for, the things we can't see. And if you don't have faith, you can't please God. So you have to have faith in order to have a right relationship with God. Because by faith we believe that he exists. By faith we believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, right after the book of Hebrews is the book of James. And the book of James, chapter 2, talks all about, the second half of chapter 2, talks all about faith being coupled with works or Actions or deeds, however you want to say it. So verses 14 through 26, or 25, excuse me, says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Oh, go in peace, be warm and be filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body? What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. You show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works along I mean, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works, which when she received messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So two very clear and distinct teachings, one from the writer of the book of Hebrews and one from the, from the letter of James, that faith is the evidence of the things that we're hoping for. It gives us the conviction when we can't see what's going on, we can still know that we know that we know and have confidence. And without having this faith, we can't have right relationship with God because without faith, you can't please God. And if you have faith, you have to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek them. And if you had say you have faith, but then you take no action to exercise your faith, you're just as bad as the person who says, oh, be well. I'll pray for you, be well, but you do absolutely nothing to help them. And then, 
I was, as I'm looking for these different scriptures during this time of reflection over what it means to receive the peace of God through faith, I came across Romans, which to me is not necessarily always made me think of faith when I come out, think about Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 always makes me think about believing. Well, I guess it does, believing in God. God has given us the evidence through nature, etc., etc., etc. But there's this one statement in chapter 1 that just gripped me. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. It says, through whom... Well, it's actually a continuation of a full, long, run-on sentence. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So this phrase doesn't mean a whole lot of stuff because he's talking about Paul as a, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. He promised beforehand through the prophets, blah, 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 through whom Christ, through whom we receive grace and apostleship to bring about. There is this phrase to bring about what? The obedience of faith for the sake of his name. And that gripped me. it mean when Paul wrote that there was an obedience of faith for the sake of God's or Christ's name or Jesus' name. And as I was reflecting on what it means to have an obedience of faith, God pointed me to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. If you take the time, which we don't have time this morning, to read all about it. But if you take the time to read Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, you get a story about a man who believed. And this man who believed was considered righteous kind of a given that God would choose a righteous man to be the the earthly father of the Messiah while he was a child on the earth. But it wasn't just that he was righteous. It was that he had honed his obedience of his faith in such a way that God knew that he could trust him. See, it's more than simply saying, I believe. It's, I believe, and here's how you'll know I believe. Because when God says something to me, I take action. If I believe God is going to provide rain, I carry my umbrella. If you were to go through Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, looking at that story, you will find four distinct times where Joseph is visited by an angel of God in a dream, or at least the word of God comes to Joseph in a dream. We're not told that it's an angel each time, but we are told that four specific times Joseph has a dream. 
and he acts on the faith that he has that the dream was specifically messaged from him to him from God. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife, because what's conceived of her in her is not through fornication or adultery or any kind of lasciviousness. It is indeed a holy thing of God. And it is because of God's holy presence overshadowing her that she became pregnant and is now carrying a child. Do not be afraid. I mean, do do not tarry any longer in the town of Bethlehem. Now they'd been there, we think, upwards of two years. Do not tarry any longer because you need to get out. So he gets up and gets out. He doesn't know what's going on in the court of Herod. But we do. What happened in the court of Herod was, Herod called all the wise people together and said, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, Bethlehem. And he already knew from the time frame that the wise men had said that sometime over the last two years, this star appeared to us and we began following it so that we could come finding the one who was born king of the Jews. So Herod says to his guards, his soldiers, I want you to go and kill every baby boy in the town and surrounding area of Bethlehem that is two years old or younger. There is no way Joseph could have known that. No way. But God, in his foreknowledge and providence, said to Joseph in a dream, get up in the morning and take your wife and this baby and get out of town. And he did. And Jesus was saved. Then Herod dies. And God again visits Joseph in a dream, the third dream. And he says, the one who was seeking his death is no more. You can return. And I'm getting a little muddled in my facts, so let me uh, let me turn now to Matthew chapter 2. I thought I had it all in my head, but it's not coming all clear. Matthew chapter 2. That was verse 13. I mean, verse 14. Then Herod, when he saw... No, excuse me. 19. When Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel to those, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But, and here's where the fourth dream comes, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go to Judea. And again, being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And as a result, by him choosing to go to the district of Galilee, as a result of his getting the word of God through this dream, Jesus then became known as a Nazarene, which just happened to fulfill another messianic prophecy. 
So you see, we have this story of this man who was righteous and, and faithful and found worthy of being the, the heavenly father, excuse me, the earthly father of the Messiah. But it wasn't just that he was a man of faith and a righteous man, but he was a man who acted on his faith, who God knew that he could trust him. That when I speak to you, Joseph, I know that you're going to be able to discern my voice and that you will act immediately upon receiving this word from me because I know, I mean, because I need somebody in that position who will do that. This is, this is not a game. All of the enemies of God are against this plan that is being put into place. The enemy, the prince of the power of the air, and all of his minions are trying in all ways possible to bring death to the Christ throughout the 30 plus years that he's on the earth. And God needed a protector for that infant who then became a small toddler, who then became a small preschooler, who then was an elementary age child until he reached the age of accountability, age 12, when he was bar mitzvah and was in Jerusalem at the temple saying, she had not I was at my father's house. And they're like, what is it? I'm your father. And it's at that point that Jesus starts taking on his own moral responsibility before God and Joseph can now be pulled out of the picture. And we see from his absence that at some point following that Jerusalem event when Joseph, when Jesus was 12 years old and prior to Jesus's 30th year on the earth, Joseph dies. We don't know when. History doesn't, history doesn't tell us. We don't have any evidence about it, but we know from the age of 12, sometime between the age of 12 and sometime between the age of 30, Jesus, the eldest child of Mary, takes on the the, the role of provider and caretaker for his mother because her husband has died. How do we know that? Look at what happened on the cross. When Jesus turns to John, the disciple, and Mary, who are at the foot of the cross, and he says, Woman, this is now your son. He will take responsibility from me to take care of you for the rest of the time you're on this earth. We know that Joseph is no longer in the picture from that statement right there. And we know that Joseph was in the picture up till the 12th year of Jesus on the earth. So sometime between 12 and 30, Joseph died. We could also go back even further into Jesus' ministry because if you remember, there's a story where Mary's... Mary and her children come to the house where Jesus is teaching because they want to collect him. Because he's acting a little crazy. And the people say, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he says, these are my mother. These are my brothers. Okay, remember that part of the story. So we know Joseph is out of the picture. But for the first 12 years of Jesus' life, when he needed someone to protect him, to care for him, to provide for him, because remember in that culture, women couldn't own property. Women couldn't provide for themselves. They needed a man to provide for their house. So Joseph was specifically chosen to be that man. Why? Because he was a man who was not only righteous, who not only had faith, but he knew how to exercise his faith when God told him something. And God needed somebody who could instantly respond and act and exercise his faith in using the term or the the words out of, of Romans, the obedience of the faith for the sake of God's name. The obedience of faith for the sake of God's name. That was Joseph. And interestingly, as I have thought about this throughout the week, because I looked at Joseph Monday morning, and I've just kind of been chewing on this all week long, 
Last night, I went to bed, and I had insomnia. It was horrible. And I got up, and I went back to sleep, and I got up, and I went back to sleep, and I got up, and I went back to sleep. Well, finally, I'm sound asleep, and it's time to get up. And just moments before I get up, I have an incredibly vivid dream. And I don't remember who they were, because I didn't take the time to, to write everything down. But there was a group of us, maybe five or seven people, all standing in some public place. It was either a restaurant or a mall. It was an enclosed building. So it was like a, a mall or a, or a restaurant or some place where people gathered. And these five or seven of us were all singers. And all of us began singing a worshipful praise song that had never been written, had never been recorded. And we sang it in perfect harmony. Each person had their own melody line that perfectly interwoven with each other. And all of these parts were this beautiful, glorious, glorious song to God, worshiping God, but it was being seen and heard by all of the people around. And when I woke up, the Holy Spirit of God said to me, that's the obedience of faith for the sake of the name. Because if you know God's voice so well that you can hear him give you the melody line as you're supposed to be singing it. And you can instantly sing it with confidence and not fear that you're going to mess it up and not be afraid that you're going to do something to feel, make yourself stupid and not feel that you're going to be shaming anybody around. But you can simply act out of obedience and faith knowing that this is from God. Boom! And do it. And to have five or seven people all doing it at exactly the same moment. Hearing God, knowing it's from God, speaking it instantaneously, and bringing about this glorious, beautiful, worshipful praise song to God that has never been written down any place. That's the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could really live that way. Wouldn't it be glorious to know God's voice that well? And the last thing I wanted to say, I found it interesting as I reflected this week on Joseph. Four distinct times God gave him a dream by which the word of God was imparted to him. I think it wasn't that he received the word of God through a dream because that's how God communicates with his people. I think Joseph received the word of God through a dream because that was the best way that Joseph could receive the word of God. See, God knows each one of us so intimately and so well that he knows how you can best be receptive to the word that God is wanting to impart to you. And he will communicate to you in that way. As your pastor, heaven help me, I have to maintain an email account, a Facebook account, a texting account, and a Facebook messenger account, and they all have to be open at all times. 
Why? Oh, and a telephone. Why? Because all of you communicate in different ways. I know for a fact, and I'm going to embarrass a friend of mine, and she doesn't know I'm going to say this, but if you ever try to call my friend Elsie and she doesn't pick up the phone, don't bother leaving a voicemail because she's not going to listen to it. <laughs> she's just going to see that you she missed a call from you and she's going to immediately call you. So just leave, just hang up and text her. I need to talk with you. And she'll call you right back. That's just how she communicates. Now, Joyce, if I were to try and send Joyce a text message, she freezes. But give her a Facebook messenger text uh, message, she's she's with you within the next 30, 40 minutes. And that all of you, all of you communicate in your own way. And as your pastor, I have had to learn. Now, I was taught this in Bible college. It's not, not that it's just unique to this church. This is what we're taught as pastors, is you have to change your form of communication, O oh preacher, to be able to communicate effectively with the people that God sends you, because each one of them has a different antenna. Each one of them receives differently. And if you try to always give it the same way, they're not going to get it. Most of them. One or two of them will go, oh, no, that makes perfect sense. Okay? Because you're only communicating in the one way. So, as a pastor, I've had to learn to communicate in multiple different ways and always stay open to those avenues of receiving messages from you so that I can stay in contact with you. God knows you even better than I know you. Because he's the one that gave you the antenna. And he knows how you receive. The problem with most of us is we don't exercise that antenna well enough to be able to trust it. That's a true word. If you pray for rain, why aren't you carrying an umbrella? Do you really believe? I thought it was amazing that God orchestrated our church service in such a way that we had to have a discussion about praying for finances at the beginning of our service. That wasn't my plan. That was brought to me by our board. But I, as it was going on, and I wish that I had written it down because Evelyn said something in the middle of her spiel, I was like, I need that for my sermon. But the people heard it, so it's good enough. God will bring it to your memory when, when it needs to be, if it needs to be. But she spoke words that should have been written down by me for my sermon because it was amazing. The point that she was making about knowing what God is asking of you to do is something about if God is not telling you to give, then don't give. Just do what God is telling you to do. And I was like, yes! Exercising your faith in the obedience, I mean, obedience, whatever. What is the word? I can't say it off the top of my head and my silly screen has gone blank on me. Obedience of faith for the sake of the name. I'm almost in tears at this point, folks. You need to understand how, how, how deep this goes in me. I have wanted to live like Joseph my whole life. And to get that dream this morning. To be able to almost instantaneously act out what God is whispering to me. For his glory. That's how I want to live. And that's how I want you guys to be living. And if we could learn how to do that through the exercising of our faith.
imagine what God could bring about and the glory he could receive as a result. Pretty cool Christmas story. Pretty cool Christmas story. The obedience of faith for the sake of his name. 